Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today is my favorite episode of the whole year, I think. It is our favorite reads of 2021. And how did you feel about this year's reading? It was definitely better than last year. I, yeah. I know last year for my, my list, I had a few really strong favorites, and then everything else I sort of... I, I really liked, but I don't know that I would have called it in another year one of my right. absolute favorite books. And this year, I definitely had a lot more to pick from and a lot that I had to um, sort of weigh whether I wanted to include it versus something else. And, and I could have swapped in a ton of stuff. So so that to me says it's a better year. I did also read a lot of duds this year, so I don't know. <laughs> Where that balance my, is. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that still makes for a better reading year if you have yeah. more favorites but but I think just being on a committee you're reading so much that yeah. you're gonna, going to hit lots of stuff that yeah. doesn't sit with you so yeah so so probably in my like statistics it would it wouldn't be a, a year where I read everything that I loved and it was great mm-hmm. but but I still feel like that that makes for a very satisfying year to have that kind of contrast in it so yeah so yeah good for me how about yeah. you I think I had a pretty good year I think that I <laughs> I mean I think it was about the same as last year I, I would say which was a lot of books that I really really liked and then of course the standouts um so when I was making my list of 10 I had a hard time like I could have probably done a, an entirely different top 10 with just maybe two or three that stayed the same or maybe four now that I'm yeah. saying that. Um, <laughs> and I could have swapped out some of the other ones because uh, there were just there were a lot of good books that I really liked and that I've um, thought back on about how much I enjoyed and that I've recommended to other people. Uh, so yeah, I think it was a really, really solid year for for reading for me. And then there, the ones that I loved, I really loved just as much as previous years with the books that I've loved. So yeah, yeah, I think it was very consistent with how last year was. Uh, I do think that with reading for the committee, as we've talked about, you do end up reading a fair number of books that maybe you don't love because they're not your personal jam. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are surprises that come from that that right. I wouldn't have picked up on my own. So I think I'll be curious to see how my reading next year compares because yes. I'll go back to being able to pick whatever I want to read, uh, which will be very different from the last four years. So, But at the same time, I might miss out on some of those surprises. So I'll yeah. be curious to see if, if my reading changes pre-committee to and post-committee, you know, what I would have Maybe I'll be picking up some books I wouldn't have ordinarily if I hadn't ever been on this committee, but maybe I'll have more that's right in my zone of what I love um, than while I was on the committee. So we'll see. But I do think it was a pretty good year. And I I do have some, uh, at least one book on my list. I'm trying to think if there's a second that I just read because I wanted to read it and it wasn't because of committee work and it did end up making it to my top 10. Uh, oh, and so, so that's nice too, to have, you know, it wasn't all just stuff I had to read some of it was yeah. just for fun so yeah. so yeah but I felt like it was good and again I think I think I said something similar last year where the about five or six titles on my list were really books that I liked a lot and and would even say I loved but probably there were another 10 or so that could have made it on that list right and then the top four or five are really like the standouts of the year for me so I'm excited yeah. to talk about them I think too. Th- this is the the year by far that I've read, um, obviously for for very good reasons, um, very very current books, 
And that's been really satisfying for me because I usually read a lot more backlist despite right. all the, the books I download and um, all the advanced copies I get. I, I very rarely uh, stick to um, reading those. So um, it's it's been really nice to have read everything. That's, I know, that's isn't it? That's I told really you fun. when the end of the year list come out, you can be like, I read that, I read that, I yeah. read that. <laughs> Instead awesome. of just knowing about them, yeah. it's a totally different game. I know. Well, sometimes you could disagree, like, "Oh, I don't think that should have been there." Right. right. Why is that not there? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> All right. Well, I say we just dive in because this this is okay. usually a pretty long episode, so I say we yeah. go for it and start sharing our favorites. So, should we say first? Did we? Did I, I tried to rank mine? I so tried we, to rank mine as well. I okay. There were a lot of these that were, it's very negligible one spot yes, versus sure. the other. But yes, I did try to rank yeah. mine. In fact, I had a last minute change today between first and Ooh. second place. I know. Oh. I know. <laughs> oh, that's interesting because I comment on your first I know. place. So. I know. That was my second choice. Uh, and I'll explain why when we get there. But Okay. okay. That is, that's a, a, a little bit, bit of an upset. Fascinating right turn of events. Yes, yes. The drama of this podcast is <laughs> keeping everyone on edge. Yeah. All right. I can't wait to hear your list. Okay. So my first book, and I, sh- I will also um, second that, that these are pretty minor uh, rankings on most of these, but take that for what you will. So my first book is The Chicken Sisters by KJ Dell and Tonia. And I think I've talked about this. I don't remember when, but I, I feel kind of redundant. I feel like I've heard you talk about it. Okay, maybe so it was on this me... podcast. I think so. Okay, that's that makes me feel better that I'm not going crazy. Uh, so this is about a town in Kansas that has two family-run fried chicken restaurants. And one is named Chicken Mimi's and the other is named Chicken Franny's. And they've been feuding for decades. So uh, there's a woman named Amanda Moore who was born into the Chicken Mimi's family. But then she married into the family who runs Chicken Franny's. And that was seen as this huge betrayal. And then her husband died and she now has no contact with her mother. Um, who who runs the the other restaurant so she writes to a reality uh, show that called food wars and wants them to decide which is the better restaurant and so in sort of retaliation amanda's mother recruits her other daughter may to help um, chicken mimi's uh, stand out and she is a, a a organizer on tv and sort of is trying to revitalize her career so that just lends itself to lots of drama mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really fun but i also thought it had really astute things to say about family relationships and i especially love books about um the relationships between sisters and siblings so that was really the draw for me and i just love this and also you get to eat lots of fried chicken mm-hmm. it's just the rule that if you're reading about fried chicken you're allowed to go order fried chicken so um yeah that was a, a special bonus in my life <laughs> so that is the chicken sisters by kj Dell antonia I literally just downloaded that audiobook to listen to right before. Oh. I, we, I had a little break in between finishing one thing up and starting to record. And I thought, well, let yeah. me see what I can download. And, I, and that's what I downloaded. Yeah, I think you're going to love that one. I think I will. And I think it'll make a good audiobook, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's how I did it. And it oh, was did very, you? Very okay. Good. good. Mm-hmm. All right. So my first one is A Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. And it is well established on this podcast and elsewhere in my life <laughs> that I don't like science fiction. Uh, but... What I have discovered is that I do actually like science fiction thrillers. So often oh. it's, it's something to do with time travel, parallel universes, that sort of thing. And then there's yeah. a thriller aspect. And that I do like because I like 
thriller. So mm-hmm. I read this book way back in January. So I was scraping at the back of my memory for, for what <laughs> happened to this book. Um, but I remember reading it and thinking, oh my gosh, have I already just read one of my favorite books of the year in January, uh, you know, second week of January. And it did, it still, it still stands out to me as one of my favorites, partially because it was rather different from everything else I read. I don't know that I've talked about it on the podcast before, but it's kind of a complicated plot. I'm not going to really get into it. It is about somebody who uh, can travel between parallel worlds. And basically she does misdeeds for kind of an evil corporation. And, and when she is no longer... <laughs> needed they'll just dispose of her and um and so there's there's kind of a a mystery or sort of like a yeah like a mystery element to it a thrilling you know thriller element where Mm -hmm. she is racing against time kind of and there's this evil corporation like i said there's a very complicated relationship with an ex-boyfriend that she's keeps running into in parallel worlds and um lots of big ideas about social inequities, racial inequities, social justice, um, economic inequities, things like that, and like the way different um, groups of people treat each other regardless of what the world looks like. So it was just a really, really intriguing premise, very thought-provoking. It was very fast-paced, so it kept me engaged. Like I said, because it was a thriller, it sort of uh, the science fiction went down a little easier because it was a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved it, and I've been recommending it all year long. It's The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson. That's a good sell. Oh, uh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's your next one? Um, next is The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zio Axelrod. And I finished this recently, and I thought, oh my gosh, is that my favorite romance <gasps> I've ever read? Really? Possibly? I can't wait to read it. I It might be. I don't know. I haven't read that many, yeah. So it's that's hard to say because right. I, I I don't have like a hundred right rank, but right. I really really enjoyed it. Um, so it's about a woman named Tony Bennett, and yes, that's her <laughs> name. Um, it's short for Antonia. I don't know why she cho- chooses to go by Tony, but that's cool. Uh, and she's trying to make it in the music industry, and she is working as a session guitarist generally. Um, she does some other stuff too, but but that's her main job. But she in that that capacity is regularly uh dismissed by white men for being a black woman and and that's just not very common in the the industry and so she's replaced right in the middle of a recording session and the new guitarist that is brought in is a long lost flame of hers named sebastian quick and she has never forgiven him for leaving her behind when they were teenagers so he suggests her as a temporary replacement a guitarist for the band that he's involved with which is is called the lilies and it's a, a all-female rock band that are about to hit it really big but um they kind of have a, a little bit of an, an underground mystique at this point but the band drama that's going on is starting to to become more famous than the music itself and so um, they kick out a guitarist and tony is brought in so she knows she can't screw up this chance. This is, is her her big break, but she also sees that she might have a chance to fix things with Seb. So um, I just felt like this was such a fresh romance. I don't know that I've ever seen anything like this in most of fiction, especially not in romances. And so um, I just was very fascinated by the women in rock perspective and especially a woman in color or a woman of color mm-hmm. in rock. And it, I just really believed in this relationship. I felt like the the drama that held them apart was really believable and I was very into it. So 
I don't. Maybe I have to make a spreadsheet of my, <laughs> of romances, and I can rank them. And Pros then I'll and know cons. For sure. Yeah. Point but system. I, I just was completely riveted by this when I listened to it. So, if I liked it, surely everyone else will like it. Surely, too. yes. yes. Oh, yeah. That's another one that's on my list. I can't wait to read that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zio Axelrod. All right. So my next one is Early Morning Riser by Katherine Heine. Again, I've already talked about this one, so I'm not going to go into plot details too much. I'll just say generally it's about a woman who moves to a small town in her 20s in Michigan, I believe, somewhere in the Midwest, to be a kindergarten teacher. And uh, she falls in love with this guy who has kind of left a trail of broken hearts in his past, but good-naturedly. Like, everybody's, they're all still on good terms with each other. And then the story follows along uh, throughout several decades of this woman's life and, and follows her into her, I think, late 30s, early 40s. And you see the way her life doesn't necessarily turn out the way she imagined it would when she was in her 20s and how her relationships that she's formed have morphed over time and she's built this life for herself again that maybe wasn't what she expected but is it's definitely a found family story about the people that you surround yourself with being the people in your life that love and support you and who you love and support despite differences and despite who who you thought that they might become kind of thing i don't know how to say it without like spoiling parts of it (laughs) but there's just things take unexpected turns in life as we all know um you know, people change, you lose people that you love, things happen in life. And I think this story is very representative of that sort of change in life. There aren't some dramatic big reveals in this story. It's generally just a very kind of true to life, watch somebody live their life over several decades story. So, but at the same time, it's it doesn't feel like this long slog through somebody's life. Like it sort of checks in with the main character at different points in her life and you can fill in the pieces of what happened in between. Uh, so I love it. I thought it was very thoughtful um, and it was a really sweet look at, at what makes up a family. It's not necessarily the people that you're um, related to by blood, which I think we both know. Um, and it doesn't shy away from some of the frustrations and disappointments and, like I said, sadness that you might feel in life or the sad events that might you might come across in your life. So it just felt like a nice balance to me of humor and heartwarming stuff and a little bit of that bittersweet quality that I love. So that is Early Morning Riser by Katherine Heine. I'm looking at that one right now. <laughs> and I want to read it. I know it's going to mess me up. Yeah, I yeah, I would warn you that maybe wait a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Next is This Thing Between Us by <gasps> Gus Moreno. I just read this. Yeah. It's so good. It is so good. (laughs) Uh, It's about a man named Tiago whose wife, Vera, has recently died in a terrible accident. And he's looking back at the events that that led up to that. So he and Vera lived in a condo in Chicago and some odd things start to happen, um, especially after they get a device that's called, I think, I think it's pronounced Itza. Uh Um, It's like an Alexa type of of thing. So they give commands and it, it does things. And so it starts to say weird things and they start to get kind of strange and menacing packages at their door. And um, maybe the creepiest is that Tiago keeps waking up repeatedly trying to open a door in a wall that isn't there. 
And that's just super creepy to me. Yeah. So it was, was very unsettling to me. So they don't know what to do about any of these things until Itza plays a part in Vera's death. So Tiago leaves Chicago and he is trying to make sense of what happened. And he realizes that whatever presence was there in the condo with him has followed him to his new home in Colorado. So, um, it's obviously a horror novel, mm-hmm. but it also deals a lot with Mexican-American identity and and really looks at who is allowed to claim that heritage, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was a really interesting take in this in this book. Um, and it's also just this, this really moving and gorgeous depiction of grief. And mm-hmm. that's something I've thought a lot about this year, obviously. And yeah. so this book was kind of right where I needed it to be in my life. I, I will say it's very brutal to read. Um, there's some uh, animal uh, scariness. Uh, by is... the way, it's a dog named Brimley, and I have a dog yes, named Brimley. I thought that so many times, especially because Brimley's such a goofball. And so. it's such an unusual name, too. Right. It was like, and it's, he was named Brimley for the same reason we named our dog Brimley. So yeah. it's just hilarious. Sorry. Yeah, it was. I, I thought that several times when I was listening to it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's it's. To me, I love horror where it's it gives you the things that scare you, but also digs in a lot deeper than that. And so, um, so that was what this is for me. So, that is this thing between us by Gus Marino. Yeah, I texted my friend and I was like, "There's a dog in this book named Brimley. He better not die." <laughs> <laughs> well, something's happened. <laughs> oh yeah. So, all right. My next one is Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala. I know. So this is funny because I'm not a cozy mystery reader, as you know, Anne. Uh, but I really loved this book. It was a, a definite, like, memorable read for me. And I think partially because I am not a cozy reader or cozy mystery reader. Same as not being a science fiction reader, really. So then when I do read one that I love... I think it's, I love it almost even more because it's not yeah. something that I usually fall for. Um, but it's a start of a new series, and I am eager to continue reading the series. It's about this woman who comes home after breaking up, I think, with her fiance. I think it's like a I think so. pretty, you know, pretty major life change. And she comes back home just temporarily, just to sort of recuperate and recover and then figure out what her next steps are and is helping out at her family's restaurant. One day her her high school boyfriend is there who he's horrible, he's this awful guy, <laughs> and he dies. <laughs> he dies at the restaurant. And so Lila, the main character, takes it on herself to figure out what happened because the restaurant gets shut down because the fear is that it was basically food poisoning or something like that that killed him. And so she, she decides to investigate. She thinks, no, that can't be possible. There has to be a reason that that he died, that something else, and he's this horrible person, there's got to be somebody who wanted to kill him. (laughs) And so um, I would say, first and foremost, the food descriptions in this book are amazing. And you will be hungry. Just if you decide to read this or listen to it, just prepare yourself to have some snacks around because you are going to want to eat good food. Um, So the food descriptions were so good. Uh, But the mystery I thought was really good. I thought the the way the mystery was kind of plotted and, and paced and what the big, you know, the the reveal at the end of who, who killed this guy was a good reveal. Like it didn't, at least I didn't figure it out super early on in the story and then just wait for it to be uncovered, you know? Right. And um, I enjoyed the characters a lot. I thought it was a great, a great setup for, you got to know the characters well enough to 
like them and be invested in their story, but also want to keep reading about them in the future, which is important. Obviously, if this is starting a series, that's something you want to do as a writer, I would assume, is make these characters people that you could follow along on, on into further books. Um, so it's all around just a book that I really enjoyed reading at the time that I read it. Uh, sometimes I like switching up what I read from the usual, and this was absolutely an example of, as I picked it up and I thought, well, this is different than my usual, even my usual mystery. You know, if I read a mystery, right. it's Tana French, it's Louise Penny. It's not a crazy right. mystery like this. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was a very pleasant surprise and, surprise, and I enjoyed it quite a lot. It's Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala. The only thing, the only issue with that book is that it's not necessarily the easiest thing to find Filipino food without making it yourself. And so <laughs> yes. if you're really wanting the food yeah. that they're describing, you have to, you can't you just run out and right. get it. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. I should have specified when I said snacks, like you need, you're going to want Filipino food or something Yeah. in that vein. Yeah. You're not going to want yeah. just like a bag of Doritos by you. No, don't ruin your life that way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tell me your next okay. one. Next is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, this is a yeah. good one. And it's hard to describe because it's three stories and they trade off randomly in, in the book. And so I'll just tell you all three stories basically <laughs> um so one is anna and she is an orphan who lives in constantinople in the 15th century and she secretly learns to read by stealing abandoned books and there's one in particular that she is really entranced by that's this this greek book that she finds and so she escapes the city during during a siege and she meets a boy named omir who is um, he's been conscripted into the army that's surrounding Constantinople. So then 500 years later, an elderly man named Zeno is, uh, or Zeno is leading children in, at the library in Idaho in a stage adaptation of the same book. But a young man has um, planted a bomb, basically, in the library. Um, and he doesn't know that there's anyone there after hours. And so they're in this, this really immediate danger. And then the third story is in the future, and there's a, I think she's like 14 or something, a, a, a girl named Constance, mm -hmm. um, who's in isolation on a spaceship that's traveling away from Earth in order to save humanity. And she is fascinated by the same story as Anna and Zeno, and she's trying to write it down because the only way that she's ever heard it is um, as told to her by her father. So all of these stories individually are riveting, but mm -hmm. then the way they all come together mm -hmm. and um and like enhance each other and inform each other is just so well done i i totally like the the love for anthony door is mm -hmm. not is not um um fake yeah. <laughs> it's he, he's just really really smart in the way that he he did this mm -hmm. and um it's a really long book but it reads really kind of shockingly quickly mm -hmm. and it it is just honoring the way that that books have power over us and um the, the way that stories um, can can really become our lives. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just really beautiful. So that mm -hmm. is Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Yeah, I really loved that one too. I considered putting that on my top 10. That's one, if we had done a top 20, it surely would right. have made it on mine. Uh, but I read it when we had to read a whole bunch of books in a very small period of right, time. Right. And so I don't think I quite uh, got to savor it the way I would have wanted. And so yeah. a lot of the books on my list, I've 
I went purely on how much I like enjoyed the reading experience of it or appreciated yeah. the reading experience of it. And so for me, that one, even though I could sort of appreciate it as a, a book, as a story, as the craft of what he did, and even though I thought it was really, really fabulous and such a lovely book, it didn't like hit me in the... Right. You know, in, in yeah. the way some of these other ones did. But, oh, gosh, I, I highly recommend it. It's so good. Such and I good. think that I think I, I was in the same situation as you. Yeah, right, right. And and I think that that's why it stood out to me, because it because I was reading so fast that mm -hmm. the fact that I was as into it as I was when I didn't have time to be as into yeah. it as I as I. Yeah, that's a good sign. Right. Was was also. Yeah. Uh, uh, really a standout for me. Yeah. Uh, that consider that my like secret eleventh book on my list. Okay, honorable mention. Because I know you have some on my list that you're going to chime in that would be yes favorites yeah. of yours as well. Yeah. Uh, well, my next one is a romance. It's Rosalind Palmer or Rosaline Palmer takes the cake by Alexis Hall, and it's another food book. <laughs> so back to back, you're just going to be hungry. This time, you're just going to be eating a bunch of desserts. Um, so <laughs> this it takes place on basically the equivalent of the Great British baking show set. So the main characters of this book are all contestants on a reality baking show. Um, but it is very much the equivalent of the Great British Baking Show. So if you're a fan of that show, to me, that is why I loved this book so much is because it was like this insider peek into a TV show that I thoroughly adore. Um, so it's about the this main character who is a single mother and she goes on the show and immediately hits it off with one of the other contestants who is this very attractive kind of suave man. Um, and you can see as, as the reader that there's also another contestant who's sort of grumpy and sort of like gruff. And he he's also kind of there. And you can see you're like, Oh, he's the better fit for her, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know you have to you have to read the book to see how it all plays out. Um, and and it is a romance. I mean, it's clearly I would say a romance because the the love story is is front and center. But it, it takes a little diversion from a typical romance because you do have these two suitors, basically. You know, these two men in the in this woman's life, and typically with a romance, it's a very clear like hero heroine yeah or hero and hero or whatever you know whatever the setup is um and they fall in love and there are obstacles and then they have, end up with their happily ever after so this one to me is part of why i liked it so much is because the the pleasure of the book is seeing the main character figure out what she wants out of life through the process of being on this show. Um, and of course the insider peek into the great british bake off doesn't hurt but that's that was to me why I enjoyed it so much and why I really loved the reading experience was because yes there were the where, there was the romance which I like um, as you know but it was it was really focused on the main character and her life as a single mom and what does that mean and what does her future look like after she's off the show and what does she want it to look like and she has some family pressure and how does she deal with that and um, so it's just to me it balanced the romantic elements with those other elements really nicely to make a romance that was a little bit different than your traditional they fall in love and they end up together story. So yeah. um, that is Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall. I'm really excited for that one. And I, I should probably give an honorable mention shout out to The Charm Offensive too, because that's sort of the same yes. um, behind the scenes uh, uh, take, which yeah. man, 
that's that's just a catnip means oh. of getting yeah angry. like i love them they're so much fun well so that battle royal that i talked about by lucy parker i think in our right. last episode or the episode before same same kind of premise so yeah. except that those are judges on a show like that so yeah. oh give me all the the reality baking show reality yeah. baking show romances reality so, dating show yeah not yeah yeah because charm offensive is the dating show right yeah 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 yeah, um, yeah i love that what did you ever read one to watch Last year, the year before, no. Yeah, I think you'd I, like that one too. I think. Yeah, I talked. To, I think that was on a preview episode. I think that was when I said about in a preview episode, but then yeah. you actually talked about it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that one sounded super super fun. Yeah, I think you would like that one too. All right. Um, okay. Next is a thousand ships by Natalie Haynes, and this is the story of the Trojan War that is told through the eyes of the women who are only briefly mentioned in the Iliad and the Odyssey. And it's it's done as a series of sort of vignettes, I would guess you would say, or short stories um, with a Greek chorus like you see in in Greek drama framing these stories. So um, I'm not going to tell you the stories, (laughs) so there's nothing more to say about that. Um, But I was really impressed by the way that the author altered the voice for for each story. They I think that's really difficult to do. And um, I felt sort of that uniqueness of of each um, character and it, it still felt like a cohesive book though and and there are actually some stories that sort of continue throughout the text but for the most part they're individual um, and so I, I just was impressed really impressed by the way she wrote it and I loved how much emotion is brought into these familiar tales and um, we you know that these are these are stories that are known at least in the entire Western world as, as sort of these foundational stories of, of our culture. And um, so often the women are ignored and that's sort of a trend right now to have the, the unseen women of history um, Mm -hmm. um, take the the forefront. But I loved that this one shows the emotional costs of war Mm -hmm. and how those things are often ignored, but are no less important than, than the physical costs. Um, and that those are usually suffered by the people that are left behind and, mm-hmm. and that they go through their own process of, of, um, of being at war as well. So mm-hmm. um, I thought it had a lot that made me think about sort of current issues and, and, and uh, just, just the, the stories that I don't think about very often when I, when I think about war stories. So mm-hmm. that is A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. I've seen that pop up on a few best of the year lists. It seems like it's definitely hit, struck a chord. With. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My next one is The Push by Ashley Audrain. I read this also back in January. I think. Yeah. You talked about yeah. it a killer long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, I've said it over and over, but the last couple of years, I find myself very drawn to reading thrillers. Like it's just something that, that fits well into my reading life like when I'm feeling like I want to be engaged with a book, but not have to think too much. Yeah. Uh, but this, so I've read, but the reason I'm saying that is because I've read a lot of them. And so I did have a couple other thrillers that sort of battled it out to be on my top 10. Uh, but this one was something special, I think. Um, and I think it's because every book right now uh, or thrill, not every book, every thriller, uh, or it's a very common thing in thrillers to have this unreliable narrator and these big twists. Right. And it's like, what's going to happen? What's going to be the big twist? And it's, these books are marketed that way. But this one actually lived up to, I think, how 
it was marketed. Uh, and I didn't know much about it. I will say that before I read it. So that might impact how you feel about it. But um, this is one of the best examples of an unreliable narrator I've seen in a long, long time. I feel like the last time I saw one uh, that was this good was Gone Girl. Uh, wow. Which, because after that, it just felt like everybody was like, this is the next Gone Girl. This is right, the next Gone Girl. Right. And this one wasn't really portrayed like that. And then I read it and I was like, whoa, this is like Gone Girl. Like This is like, <laughs> you don't know. So um, again, I've already talked about this, but it's about, basically it's about a mother who suspects that her child is truly like a malevolent person, like an evil person wants to harm people, um, a psychopath pretty much, or a sociopath, or I'm not sure what the difference is really, but you know, somebody who, mm. who is like a bad person. Uh, but the people around her don't seem to think that. Like nobody else that interacts with this child seems to think that this child is evil. Um, and then there are aspects of the book where you, as a reader, question the mother's mental stability and whether she maybe is not uh, like a kind, good person. Mm -hmm. So then you're spending the whole book kind of wondering who, who's right in this scenario? Like who, who is, who is the, the bad person, so to speak, or who is like, who's right here? Like, is the child a perfectly normal, well-adjusted child and the, the mother is mentally unstable or is the mother perfectly well-adjusted person who's the only one who could see that her child is evil. And so you spend the whole book wondering this and it's just so tense. And the way it plays out is just like the whole time my shoulders were just like up by my ears, like, oh my gosh, I can't <laughs> believe this is happening. Like what is happening? It's so tense. Um, and it, But it was really, really good. Like it was, it's one of those books you kind of want to talk about after you finish it because the ending is a little bit ambiguous. So I yes. just think, I think those are the best kinds of books where yes. you finish it and you just think, who can I recommend this to? Who can I talk to about this book? You know, yeah. you just want to like have other people witness what you just witnessed. Um, and yeah. that's how I felt after I read this book. So that's The Push by Ashley Audrain. Is that one I should read or listen to? That's an interesting question. I read it, so I can't speak to the audiobook, but I bet the audiobook would be really good. I'm Just, afraid it will scare me. I don't know if it'll scare you, but I feel like it'll be one that'll... Uh, because with when I'm reading a book, if it's uncomfortable, I can sort of like skim ahead. You know, like I yeah, read it, but yeah. I'm like reading it kind of quickly. Where with yeah. an audiobook, you can't really do that. So yeah, you just have to sit in it. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that would make it a really, really engaging, like compelling listen. Yeah. I don't know. I would see. probably say audiobook. I don't know, though. Oh. I don't know. I'm a little bit afraid of it. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited to read it, yeah. but I'm also a little bit afraid of it. So yeah, yeah I think it's a. It's disturbing. It's a disturbing book. Like, yeah. it's not, it's a disturbing subject matter. Uh, but it's not the most disturbing thriller I read this year, I wouldn't say. But it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's definitely. Are you going it. to reveal what the most disturbing thriller is? Sure, because that, that way I can secretly get in another suggestion, which is okay. a book that I love. It's called Take It Back by Kia Abdullah. Oh, um, yeah. And it's about a young girl who accuses four, a young white girl, but she's disfigured accuses four Muslim teenagers of rape and it's a very complicated story uh, lots of opinions about 
who did what or who is lying yeah. um, because, you know, lots of preconceived notions about what's attractive and why does, why would, what, why people rape people and, and yeah. Muslim prejudice and all this stuff. So uh, it was really good, but very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That one also Recommendations. I Recommendations. Well, that one I read more recently. So to me, that feels more, that feels more uncomfortable because it feels more true to life uncomfortable, yeah. whereas the push felt more disturbing, but like a delicious sort of, this is a book I'm reading. This isn't real life yeah. kind of, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, that so, makes a big yeah. difference sometimes. Yeah. Um, okay, next is Horseman by Christina Henry. And this is a continuation of the tale of uh, Sleepy Hollow that is set 30 years in the future. So uh, it's about the 14-year-old grandson of Brom Bones and Katrina Van Tassel, who are, if you remember the story, Katrina is the love interest of Ichabod Crane and Brom Bones is the other guy that's, <laughs> that's going after her. And his name is Ben, and he's in the woods with his best friend reenacting a famous story, the, the famous story of Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman when they find the headless body of a boy they know from the village. And they hide um, at that in that moment and see the men of the village finding the boy. And when they when they witness this and, and they see these men talking, they see that the body has decayed faster than is possible from when they found it. So they know that there's something going on and they also know that the men know more than, they seem to know something or, oh, Joseph's up. Hi, Joseph. Um, <laughs> so, so there's some sort of, there's something going on that, that Ben doesn't understand. So um, then he starts to see terrifying figures on the, the farm where he lives and he starts to think that the stories about Sleepy Hollow that he's grown up hearing run deeper than what he was led to believe. So I I loved this because it is just pure Halloween joy for me. Yeah. It, it feels like the autumnal feelings that I want all the time and that I crave so much in October and that I was very egregiously denied as a child being from Arizona. <laughs> So it's just like, oh, it's all bottled up in, into one book for me. And I, I just love that. But it also has this this heart in it that, oh, Joseph just jumped up without permission on the bed. Okay. Um, as I said before, I love horror where it sort of has a, a deeper message to it. Mm -hmm. And um, and there's plenty of that out there. There's also plenty of horror that's just in for the scares. Mm -hmm. There, Neither one is, is good or bad. Right. But this one... Um, I just really felt that that familial relationship and and really loved that um, the way that that was depicted in this book. Um, there's some very pertinent details to the book that I don't want to reveal because I think that the way it plays out is um, uh, very satisfying and very um, emotional. Um, so just read it and <laughs> you will see what I mean. Yeah, this that, felt like such an Anne book to me. Totally, totally, yes, totally. Um, so that is Horseman by Christina Henry. Okay, going from such an Anne book to such a Hallie book, uh, The Rose Code <laughs> by Kate Quinn. Uh, there are so many World War II historical novels out there. I know this, but this one is truly <laughs> exceptional. Uh, it's one of those... I think you said that last year about a World War II book. I did, Codename Helene. Well. Yeah, Codename yeah. Helene. Uh, and it's always sort of under duress that I pick these. Because, not under duress, <laughs> that's, that's overemphasizing it. But it's just... 
I know that people are sick of World War II books, but I still like them when they're told well. And and yeah. to me, they, this is just a, an exceptional story. I think Kate Quinn is an excellent writer. Um, and and the way this story unfolds is just is really, really good. And it was a very, again, I based my entire top 10 on, on the reading experience. And to me, this was just such a stellar reading experience that I, that I included it. So it's about three women who work at Bletchley Park and they don't have much in common, but then in their time working there together, uh, they become friends. And the timeline goes back and forth between World War II and just a few few years later, I think it's 1947, 48, uh, which is unique to historical fiction right now, I would say, because usually it's like a current storyline and then the historical storyline, and that's the, the structure. Um, but in this one, it's just you know not a very big gap of time and one of the three women from this original friend group has been put in an insane asylum because of something that happened at Bletchley Park. And a few, these few years later, she reaches out to the other two women. They're all estranged at this point. Um, and she reaches out to them to say, I'm here under false circumstances. And I need your help because there was a traitor at Bletchley Park and we need to uncover who it was. And I need your help to figure it out. Um, and so the story then goes back and forth between them trying to solve it. And then it, it flashes back to when they were all at Bletchley Park and you see um, you know, what happened. And of course it's uncovered who the traitor is. So there's this little bit of a mystery of who this traitor is. And the way that's blended together with the historical detail and then the relationships between the women and, of course, the, the war that's going on and the way that's all combined. There's a little bit of romance. There's a side story with uh, Prince Philip, who is about to marry Queen Elizabeth in 1947-48 that um, one of the three women had a little bit of a dalliance with. Um, so it's just, it's like... It weaves it all together so seamlessly in a way that's such a an engrossing story. It just feels like it's the best of historical fiction to me, where it just sort of sweeps you away to another time, and that's exactly what this did. Um, and I really just loved it. It was *The Rose Code* by Kate Quinn. She's definitely an author that that reminds me of of how much I enjoy World War II fiction when it's like that I need to not look down or I shouldn't say look down on it I need right. to not be sick of it right um when she writes really great books yeah yeah and it's I mean yeah I don't know I just feel like there's a there's a reason that there are so many books written about because there's a lot to there's a lot of story to be told and again right. like a lot of it starts feeling samey but this one felt special to me yeah I'm excited for that one too um, okay, next is The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. Obviously read- Curveball. I, yeah, I was on a committee. Uh, I read this early in the year, and I always have to have a classic on every uh, favorites list because I love them. And this is, I think, the only one I read this year, but I loved it. It was great. So I didn't have to reach for my classic at all. Um, so it's about a woman named Lily Bart who is firmly ensconced as a member of New York Society in, I think, the- 1890s might be about right yeah it might be a couple decades after or like a decade later um so she is is you know seen as very rich but she is secretly poor and she relies on the goodwill of her friends for places to live and um sort of does kind of genteel jobs for them where she she will um 
organize things for them or, or keep their their calendars for them. Um, and she's nearing 30 and she still isn't married, which at that time was you know, a, a pretty big deal. And she's really widely, widely sought after, but she refuses to marry only for money. And she's really only felt passion once for a man who won't marry her. And so you go through this book seeing the the bad decisions that she makes and the circumstances that, that sort of um, chip away slowly at her position in society. And it is kind of interesting. Um, you know, there's, there's many things to love about this book, but Edith Wharton herself was, was a member of New York high society during this time. And so mm-hmm. the fact that she wrote about this and is saying really specific things about the hypocrisy and the, the um, sort of the, what's the word I want? The um, double standards that exist for women um, is, is pretty right. remarkable. And um, it shows the realities of the restraints that are placed on women who, who on the surface do have it all. They, they have privilege and, and, you know, there are obviously many people who, um, we're living in the city at the time that that didn't have all of the privileges that Lily Bart has, but um, to see still how little control she has over her own life is is pretty fascinating. Um, and I loved it. It was hard to read because I'd been reading a lot of mysteries around this time, and going to that kind of language mm-hmm. made this um, a lot more uh, difficult than I thought it would be. But it was well worth it. So that is yeah. the House of Mirth by Edith Wharton. I read that a long time ago, and yeah. but I remember really liking it making me want to, it made me want to read more Edith Wharton because that yeah. like turn of the century time period wasn't much I had read and so I, yeah I liked it a lot all right my next one is The Gunkle yes. by Stephen Rowley oh it's so good so this is just probably my most favorite kind of book because it's a little bit sweet and a little bit funny but also a little bit like Mm-hmm. sly in its humor and then it's also a little bit sad and a little bit melancholy so there's just there's just the the mixture that I love so much it is about uh so the gunkle is the gay <laughs> uncle <laughs> and it's about um this this man named Patrick who's a an actor who was like on a very very popular show but now doesn't work much and he sort of just hangs out in his house by himself and his sister-in-law passes away um and she before she was ever his sister-in-law she was his best friend um and so he is grieving her and he's reeling from that grief when his brother asks him if his niece and nephew can come stay with him for the summer because um, the brother has developed um an addiction problem and needs to go into rehab for a few months and so he asks Patrick to to take in his niece and his nephew um and Patrick is not a particularly like (laughs) parental figure uh so he takes in these kids and the three of them spend the summer um working through their grief and getting to know each other and it is again so funny so heartwarming but also heartbreaking like heart-wrenching like all the all the heart words the kids are not annoying precocious little kids they like are they're they're funny but they feel like real kids and act the way real kids act and say things that are real kids would say and and the way he responds to them is is pretty amazing and and I just loved this so much um it's the gunkle that would have absolutely been on my list if you you hadn't added it yourself yeah um, and I, yeah, everything is great mm. about it. It's, it's, it's just so 
you know, I don't love heartwarming books generally, but this has just that tinge of melancholy that yeah. makes it it perfect. And yeah. it reminded me a lot of um, maybe because I listened to both of them, but it reminded me of the house on the in the Cerulean Sea quite a bit for some reason. Like, just yep, yeah, like yeah, the way that I the kids that. are written of of mm-hmm. this difference between wide-eyed innocence and also being too world weary mm-hmm. is is sort of the right. through line with both books yeah. but um yeah it was great yeah okay so next is moonflower murders by anthony horowitz and i love magpie murders so i love this book that's that's all that matters <laughs> yeah i'll say more that's your whole um, thing Mag- magpie murders is one of my favorite <laughs> mysteries ever and this follows the same style of a book within a book so you know what, what you're getting into um and there the mm-hmm. main character of that last book is uh susan ryland and she has since the events of the last book moved to greece with her boyfriend to open a hotel and she's asked to return to england to help find the daughter of some hotel guests who um the the daughter that the missing daughter was married on the same day as a terrible terrible murder that happened um that it's kind of hard to explain susan ryland's uh mm-hmm. uh mystery writer the of the last book wrote about did i say that right did that make any sense mm-hmm. okay that's good yeah yeah i mean i read yeah. it so it's so hard to know it's, but yeah. it's a little convoluted think, to, yeah. to explain but um so he he's yeah. he dies in the last book that's that's known um and so this is mm-hmm. this is some this is a book that was written a, a while ago and they they feel like there's some clue to what happened to their daughter in his book so as his former editor they think that she will be able to find things that they haven't been able to find themselves and and they can figure out where her do- where their daughter has gone what happened that day of, uh, that she got married where there was this murder so i was worried going into this that this would feel gimmicky because it's basically the same thing as the last book where where there's a a book that alan mm-hmm. conway wrote that is c- included completely in in the text of this book but it i think that he really pulled it off and i think the mysteries themselves were just mm-hmm. both of them are so satisfying to read and and you just get that sense of of you know i i got something for free sort of because you get two books in one and mm-hmm. they inform each other and i just think that the way that he writes is really pushing the genre forward in ways that I I don't mm-hmm. see very often. Like I, I'm a mystery reader, I love them, but he writes to me some of the most mm-hmm. exciting mysteries. So that is Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz. Yeah, I had not read the first one, um, but I liked the, oh, good. I liked this one a lot. Yeah, uh, my next one is A Sweetness <gasps> of Water by Nathan Harris. This is yes. another historical novel. Um, and this one I will say covers some um, hard things <laughs> there are some hard things that happen in this book but it is so worth it it is such a good story it is about two former enslaved men who end up at the farm of a white couple after the civil war so they have been freed and they were uh at a neighboring farm and they don't have any money and they don't have really they're trying to figure out where they're gonna go so the white couple has a I want to say it's a peanut farm it's a farm (laughs) of some sort um and uh they have lost their son during the war and they are grieving um and so they're trying to make a go of of this farm on their own so they basically allow the two men to live on their property and help out with the farm 
in exchange for living there. And so they sort of form this tentative relationship because they're all they're all struggling a little bit and they're all figuring out how to move forward after this really horrific few years. Um, and and the townspeople that are surrounding them are in favor of this arrangement where um, they're working together, right? A, a white man and black men are working together on basically an equal footing um, versus uh, the the slave and master sort of standard that that they've been living on under before, um, and. I think that's all I'm going to say um, because there are all these, all these like tensions that arise from this arrangement. But at the same time, this little group of four develop yeah. a relation, you know, develop a, a friendship and they develop a bond. Um, and so it's just this really gorgeous book about family and what it means to be a family and um, loyalty and life again being hard like I said with an earlier book like about what people's sort of inhumanity um, and and the impact that has on those around them also I really liked it because I feel like I don't read a ton of books that are about that p immediately right. post-civil war timeline from the perspective that this was written you know it's like it's not some big southern plantation it's not about the actual war it's about the aftermath like what do kind of like these just yeah. regular people who now have to live their lives and like pick up their pieces of their lives and move forward like how do they do that and i just thought it was a really beautiful book and um really really loved it it's called the sweetness of water by nathan harris that's definitely one that would have been on my mm. top 10. I, I guess we should say you wrote down your top 10 first and then I wrote mine yeah. in. And so, so I I've, did ask. I did. Oh, for we did sure. Talk for about sure. It. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and mainly I thought, oh, this is great because this means we can cover other books. Right, I, I right. don't care who talks about them. But we yeah, agreed. That's... Yeah. We agreed if we both had one that was truly both in our top 10s that we wanted to talk about, that would be fine. Yeah. That we could, we could have the same book. But yeah. But yeah, that one's just gorgeous. And, and I love yeah. that the, the way that the the white couple are kind of outsiders in their community too right. and so yeah. there's just this this dynamic to their relationship in the town with and with the the two men that come to live on their their property it, it just is so well done i loved it yes, so the other thing i liked about it is there were some it's it's not like a funny book in any way shape or form mm -hmm. uh, but there were some sort of observations about people and the way people act or like interact with each yes. other that I thought were kind of slyly funny and yeah. I, liked, I liked that yeah oh, all right great. we're getting down to the wire here and two okay. more right my next book is Mrs. March by Virginia <laughs> Fato and Hallie is laughing because she did not like this book and it's one of my favorites of the year and so what does that mean about our friendship can it survive <laughs> I don't know I don't know. have to see <laughs> We came to um, wordy blows over this book, I, w I think so. <laughs> uh, but when I would say this book is, if you know me, this is an extremely perfect book for me. So if you if you like 
the types of books that I like, then you're you're more likely to like this book than pretty much anyone else I've talked to because no one else <laughs> seems to like it. Uh, so it's about a woman named Mrs. March. Um, uh, just that's her name. And she's ma- married to a famous novelist in New York City. And it's set during this sort of undefined time period. I, I, I tend to think of it as the 60s, but it could be kind of the 40s to the 70s probably Mm -hmm. um and so she's in a bakery when the clerk comments on her husband's new book and asks if the main character is based on her and this really upsets mrs march because the the main character is is deeply unlikable and kind of kind of this grotesque figure so she starts to question herself and her relationship to her husband and she ends up snooping in his desk and finds an article about a girl who's died that makes her start to wonder if her husband was involved so if very very slow moving character studies aren't your thing you should skip this because you won't be happy you won't like this book but if you like books that are 100% atmosphere and unlikable characters who make terrible decisions and sort of the tension that that comes from those decisions and there's an element of madness that ratchets up super super slowly you will love this because that is me <laughs> that's that's exactly what i loved about it um it's very much written as an homage to Patricia Highsmith and I've talked about her many times and how much I love her books so um, there's a lot of books that I see floated around as thrillers that are um, that are are talked about being um, like Patricia Highsmith and they are in their plot but not so much in her style and this one to me is very much her style so um, so I just loved it it was almost my my number one favorite book Um, I don't know what that says about me but this is this is who I am so that is Mrs. March by Virginia Fato alright we're just gonna move on to mine yeah I did not like that book we do have uh, we do have overlap but we also no we do absolutely the one I'm about to talk about you love too yes alright so my number two is Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason <gasps> uh, once again perfect blend of heartbreaking and funny um it's basically if the tv show fleabag was a book in my opinion yeah i don't want to even tell you anything about the book i just want to say go read it but i don't know how well that sells it um (laughs) it is about this woman named martha who has dealt with bouts of depression her whole life basically um and after a doctor kind of offhandedly is how i remember it like kind of casually mentions that it would be disastrous if she became pregnant. Uh, Martha internalizes that and convinces herself that she doesn't want to be a mother, a mother and a motherhood is not for her. And generally starts, generally like isolates herself from being too loved by people or loved by people. The book goes through different pieces and times in Martha's life to sort of flesh out how she got to where she is in this particular moment in time where she has moved back into her parents' home. She's married and she has left and moved back into her parents' home and has pushed away her husband and and how she got there and why she got there and then where she goes from there. And Martha's voice and the observations that she makes are just so witty and so kind of cutting, um, but also 
like I said, heartbreaking. Like there's there's real, I think, truth into what it feels like to deal with a chronic condition, whether it's mental or physical, what that impact, how that impacts your life, how that impacts your relationships, how that impacts how you see yourself, um, even though maybe the people around you don't see yourself that way. You, you think they do. And so you sort of respond because of that. I really loved the relationship she has with her sister in this book. Um, it's such a good representation of the way of that like bond between sisters where you maybe give each other a hard time or don't always like each other even necessarily, mm-hmm. but you always love each other. Um, and you're always wanting the best for each other and you're always looking out for each other no matter what. Um, and so I really loved that part of it. I just thought it was, it was like a revelation when I read it. I had no idea. I thought I was just picking up some like women's fiction book or relationship fiction book, like so many others that I read that I really like, um, like Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine or something like that. And it just felt so much more real to me about like what I perceive it to be like to, to deal with a mental illness throughout your life and, and what that what that's like and anyway I just loved it Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason full disclosure that was my number one favorite book of the year for sure um yeah it's it's amazing it's perfect it's it's so funny and so heartbreaking and exactly the way I wish I could write and Mm -hmm. so I would read parts like like there's some there there are just so many offhand comments that Mm -hmm. you you read them over and over again because you can't believe that someone could could write it that funny and that mm-hmm. astutely and it's just so amazing so um yeah yeah it's the greatest yeah so that's consider that a co co-pick from yeah us, i think yeah. yeah all right and what's your number one so i picked firekeeper's daughter for my number one by angelina angeline Bully, and i picked this because it's the book I've pushed on people the most this year. And I think that that sometimes says something about how you feel right, about a book. Right. Um, so this is one that we had planned on doing for a book club episode. And unfortunately, we, we had to cancel that because of mm-hmm. the, the circumstances of my mom's death. And so I hope that lots of people read it and enjoyed it. Um, I guess we could still do that. I don't know. It's oh, been girl, a... I'm not going to remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I would have to re-listen to it. I think I read it. that back in June or something. Yeah, May. yeah, yeah. 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 I'm terrible about remembering yeah. things, but but it, we'll just do another book club episode. But I yeah. hope that, that people enjoy this one. Um, so it's about a young woman named Donis who has recently graduated from high school, and she is an unenrolled member of, of the Ojibwe tribe in Michigan. And her, um, her birth was kind of a scandal because her father was Ojibwe and her mother was white, and th- th- those two people shouldn't have gotten together by by both of their cultures and so she lives very much in these two worlds and and doesn't really feel um, like she belongs to either of them and so she sees her best friend murdered by her drug addicted boyfriend and and this is this this really dramatic scene and part of it that that makes it worse or or more dramatic is that Donis realizes that this there's a new guy that in town that she's been flirting with and he the way he reacts to the murder indicates that he is is not who he said he was and she realizes that he's actually there to investigate the drug related deaths that have been happening in the tribe for years and so once she finds that out she is asked to help with the investigation too because of of her connections within the tribe so um there's a lot more that happens that's very early on um in the story so i'm not really giving anything away 
And I loved it because it's just a solid mystery, um, but there's also so much there about identity and belonging and the issues that um, indigenous communities face and and seem to face worldwide and that um, I just thought was was done so beautifully and and incorporates so many different elements in ways that I uh, often think can be um, sometimes when authors uh, incorporate so many things it can feel a little bit like they're trying too hard and I just didn't feel that in this book mm-hmm. and, and I loved mm-hmm. the way that all everything sort of came together um, there also are some uh, YA romance tropes to it so mm-hmm. that is kind of satisfying for that side of my brain um, and it's just a page turner and it takes on a lot and and I, I just thought that balance was was incredibly well done I also think that um, or, or I don't think I know that mainstream mysteries by Native Americans are super, super rare. They're, they exist, but they tend to be smaller publishers. Mm-hmm. And so I was really happy that this has gotten a lot of love this year. This this was a, a Reese uh, YA book club pick. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was really great to see. And I just think it's it's very deserving of, of the accolades that it's, it's, um, it's gotten. So that is Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. Yeah, I really liked that one too. That was I'm glad you made me read it. <laughs> good, good, good. All right. My number one is The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. So the reason I ended up with this at number one, honestly, anything from like the Rose Code down to this one, the last four books that I've talked about could have been number one for me. It just in different ways. Yeah. Um, and so I went with the book that to me was the one that I couldn't put the book down. I wanted to keep reading when I needed to go to sleep. Like, you know, that sort of <laughs> reading experience. Yeah. So I had I started it on a flight coming home from Nebraska over the summer. And our flight got delayed. And I'm just sitting there in the airport reading it, reading it, reading it. And we got home. And the only reason I didn't finish it that night was because we got home at midnight. And if you know me, <laughs> I do not stay up past my bedtime for anything. And I was already past my bedtime. So the, I just finished it up the next day. But if, if I could have just read it all in one day I would have um it opens up kind of with a shocking uh start it opens up with the main character the main character whose name is Elle waking up the morning after sleeping with her best friend who is uh, not her husband um and she is spending the summer um at her family's like the childhood summer home that her family has owned for generations Um, And she and her husband and their kids are there for the summer. And so it opens with this after event where she is reflecting on the fact that she just slept with her childhood best friend who is also there for the summer with his wife and and their family. Um, And you get to go along as as the the characters figure out um, what's happening in their lives. Does this mean Elle and her husband are breaking up? Um, it was something that she was kind of already thinking about and now she's ended up in the situation. Uh, and it's clear that she and Jonah, that's her childhood best friend, were very, very close to each other uh, when they were children and into their teenager dumb. And it's clear that something happened that pulled them apart. And so the story goes back and forth between their summers that they spent there as kids and then the current summer. Um, and you you discover what happened, what happened to them as kids and teenagers and how they ended up where they are now, where, where they are this summer, and then where they go from here. And I know it sounds kind of like, 
is this a story of a woman having a midlife crisis? Uh, but it's not. It's um, there's there's some unexpected darkness actually to this book um, that adds a little bit of again like that mystery or a thriller element to it. I mean, it's not a thriller, but there is sort of a question of something. You know something's happened. You know something pulled these two apart. You know it's not a happy event. You know there's like trauma in their past. And, and, but yet they still have this bond to each other. And so you want to find out what happened to Jonah and Elle um, as kids and then how they, how they got to where they are now. And then, of course, you have her husband and, and her, I think she has two teenage kids, maybe three, and they're all typical teenagers, like they're, you know, demanding and awful and sweet and like all the things that teenage kids can be. And so you see Elle sort of grappling with where she is in her life at 50 years old and, and what that means for going forward. So I just, I just thought it was so, so good. Again, I picked my, my, my number one based on pure like enjoyment of reading it and so for me this is it it's the paper palace by miranda cowley heller that's a good recommendation especially because i don't know that that's one based on the subject matter that i would pick up um, yeah but but that sounds very compelling yeah it's another one like i said about the push where i finished it and i was like other people need to read this so we can talk about yeah, it yeah <laughs> yeah all right well that's it that's our top 10 so we will be right back with what we're reading this week Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I actually just finished uh, my book. It is called Who is Ma Dixon by Alexandra oh. Andrews. I think yeah. you've read this. Yeah. I have, yes. Um, I hate the title. I will say that, but I enjoyed the book. So <laughs> <laughs> take that for what you will. Um, it's about a thriller, or it's a thriller, and it's about a young woman named Florence Darrow, who is, I, I think it's called a junior editor at, at a mm. New York City publishing house. And the big name in their catalog at the moment is an author named Maud Dixon. And she wrote a book about a, a murder that takes place in a Mississippi, but under a pseudonym. So no one actually knows who she is. And there's a lot of speculation about that. And if it's even a she and how autobiographical the book is. So um, you're supposed to be getting Elena Ferrante um, right. vibes from this. So um, Florence has kind of... Her life isn't really together, I, should, I guess I would say. Um, she grew up in Florida and she has always been really embarrassed by her religious mother and she actively thinks she's smarter than everyone else. And so when she gets to New York, she's really jealous of her co-workers who are from there who have connections in the business and in New York society and they have all these opportunities and sort of the, the cultural know-how um, of how to navigate life there. And they're starting to embark on writing careers of their own and she can't get noticed because she doesn't have those connections. So um, she makes some terrible decisions that I, I won't go into here and <laughs> she ends up out of a job and she isn't really upset by that and and she sort of has this buoyancy to to her next steps and she gets a phone call um from a woman who says that she's Maud Dixon's agent and she says that Florence has been on their radar and she is asked to interview for a pos position as Maud's new assistant so she's surprised by this but she's thrilled and she gets the job and she moves to the Hudson Valley to live at Maud's house with her and to help her with her second novel 
So Maude is actually a woman named Helen Wilcox, and she's just a little bit older than Florence, and she's very Southern, and she's really brash. And she mentors Florence in writing and sort of developing her her personality, and Florence really um, emulates her and, and wants to to have the life that that, that uh, Helen has. Um, but that sort of becomes Florence inserting herself into the writing that of of um, Helen's new book because she's just she's transcribing it and she's she's sort of changing some, some things up a little bit. So Maud suddenly decides that they need to go to Morocco for a research trip, and Florence is really or Maud Helen. It's hard to, to know which which one to say. Mm-hmm. Um, they Florence is is thrilled to go on this trip, but some of Helen's behavior is kind of odd once they get there and they have a dinner together. And the next thing that Florence remembers is um, or the the next thing she knows is that she's waking Mm -hmm. up in the hospital and she's being called Helen Wilcox and she decides not to correct the the police so um, if you have read The Talented Mr. Ripley this is very much um, an homage to that and it's uh, twisty and mysterious and you have that same characteristic um, of of, uh, reading The Talented Mr. Ripley where you're rooting for Florence but you also hate her and you Mm -hmm. you're kind of bothered inside by the fact that you want her to succeed but what does that say about you as a person so um, I think my favorite thing about this book is the the Moroccan setting because it the story moves between these riads, which are are these hotels that that they stay in, and the Medina, which is really dusty and and has all these these corridors to it. and And I thought she did a really great job of of evoking that feeling. And um, because Florence feels really unsettled there, that sort of matches the reader's feeling of of feeling unsettled and and not knowing how to feel as you watch her trying to stay one step ahead of of the story that she's telling so um so it's it's just a a fun thriller so Mm -hmm. that is who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews yeah I thought that I thought that was a, a fun one yeah all right what I am listening to this week is The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward and I have to say I can't recommend this audiobook highly enough it is so good the narrator is is really really exceptional um and this is horror but horror that very closely resembles psychological suspense so you know i love it because it's barely horror (laughs) Uh, it's like not the gory uh supernatural horror um it opens on the anniversary of the disappearance of a young girl and ted is our main character and he lives kind of an isolated life he lives sort of just on his own um and he, you know right off the bat that he was a suspect in this disappearance years ago. Um, but you don't necessarily know how that turned out. And he lives in this kind of ramshackle, boarded up house with uh, his daughter, Lauren, who visits sometimes. Um, she's not there all the time. And a cat. And then the sister of the girl who disappeared years before moves in next door to Ted. And she has shown up because she wants to figure out if Ted was involved in the disappearance of her sister. So the story hops around between each person's perspective, including the cat. Uh, And you're, you know, you're hearing from each of them. And as the story evolves, you start realizing that every single character is maybe not exactly what they seem to be. Um, And it's really... It's creepy, but not in a, like, scary way, I wouldn't say. More in just a, like, oh, this isn't good. Like, this isn't good. (laughs) Um, And 
I thought I knew where the story was going, and I have about 45 minutes or an hour left of the audiobook, and I'm suspecting now that I did not know where the story was going. Um, and I would say this is this is a good one if you like your horror the way I like my horror, you know, with a large dose of the suspense and not so much the supernatural, because um, it's more psychological than supernatural. So that is The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward. I'm super excited for that one, too. The cover yeah. is also very Halloween-y. Yes. And that makes me double yes. like it. Yes, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. All right, let's go back and list off all of our books that we talked about. Okay. Um, I talked about The Chicken Sisters by K.J. Del Antonia, The Girl with Stars in Her Eyes by Zio Axelrod, This Thing Between Us by Gus Moreno, Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, Horseman by Christina Henry, The House of Mirth by Edith Wharton, Moonflower Murders by Anthony Horowitz, Modern Masterpiece Mrs. March by Virginia Fato, <laughs> Firekeeper's Best book ever. <laughs> Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley, and what I'm reading this week is Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. All right, and um, I talked about The Space Between Worlds by Micaiah Johnson, Early Morning Riser by Katherine Heine, Arsenic and Adobo by Mia P. Manansala, Rosaline Palmer Takes the Cake by Alexis Hall, The Push by Ashley Audrain, The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, The Gunkle by Stephen Rowley, The Sweetness of Water by Nathan Harris, Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason, The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller, and what I'm listening to this week is The Last House on Needless Street by Catriona Ward. So if you'd like to get in touch with us, either to give us feedback or if you have a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to cover, or if you want to share your favorite reads of the year, we would love to hear about it. You can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other uh, podcaster podcast provider. Uh, it really does help other people find the show, which we appreciate. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Uh, another reminder to please send us any questions if you have questions for us prior to our 100th episode, which is a couple episodes away. Uh, yeah. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.